Christ the King Sunday. I almost passed up the scriptures. I thought, you know, let's just do a Thanksgiving theme. This has been a hard year. And the Lord began to really speak to me as I began to study the Thanksgiving passages, um, which, by the way, weren't that Thanksgiving-ish. They were more like, don't be anxious. And I think you guys have heard that enough. And so I, I turned back to the, to the Christ the King readings. I don't know if you know the history of the Christ the King Sunday, but uh, and I, don't, I haven't done all the fullness of research. You'll find out why later. But um, I, what I've learned is that, that a, a pope, basically, uh, following World War I, uh, in the midst of all the political fracturization and all the, dis, dis, you know, sort of like dismay of the world that we could bring ourselves to the verge of a world war. If you know anything about World War I, it was, it was just a bloodbath. And, uh, and so the Pope said, you know what, we need to remember that Christ still reigns, that Christ is king. And so he decided to institute Christ the King Sunday. And miraculously, the entire ecumenical church world has adopted Christ the King Sunday since this is the, this was a 20th century phenomenon and brought this, this Sunday into being. And I think it's appropriate for us. I think perhaps there's something for us as well today. So um, the previous weeks, and I'm thankful for James and for Bob for preaching the last two weeks, the previous parables that they've preached on have all been about preparing for the second advent of Jesus. The first advent, advent simply meaning coming. The first coming of Jesus we will celebrate at Christmas. The second advent when Christ will return, when he'll come to reign on the earth and judge the world. Paul, uh, Paul, the, the, the writer of Matthew, Matthew was, has been talking in these parables about getting ready. That's the, 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 the virgins, right, who had oil and didn't have oil. And, and then last week, um, Father Bob talked about the, the, uh, the last parable, which was the parable of the talents, which is to make sure that we're using wisely uh, our gifts and our talents, our abilities that we're using. But the question comes up in all of these parables, and there's actually five of them, that, that what is this, how do we actually do that? How do we, how do we be ready how do we use our talents wisely? What should be the focus or the goal? And so at the end of all the parables, and right now Matthew is beginning to move. As a matter of fact, chapter 26 will begin by talking about Jesus uh, and him being, um, beginning his passion, him being arrested, him being accused by the Pharisees and all that goes on after that. How is it that we are to be ready? How is it that we are to use our talents wisely? What does that look like? And Jesus gives us not a parable, but a vision of the end of times. But it's not God the Father, God who would have been recognized in all the Old Testament scenes of judgment, but rather one like the Son of Man who sits on the throne and judges, and Jesus can't help it. He calls him a shepherd, and he also calls him king. Who in the world could Jesus be talking about? He's talking about himself. As a matter of fact, son of man was the most common way Jesus referred to himself. He, that Daniel 7 passage of one like the son of man coming on the clouds is, is a phrase that Jesus used over and over and over again in his teachings. And here Jesus shows this, this not a parable, but a vision of the end of times with the, the king sitting on his throne who is the son of man and he judges the world. And it's the image of a shepherd if there's anything that's 
parabolic about it. It's this little metaphor of a shepherd who's judging between goats and sheep. And I don't know if you know this, but, but you know, English sheep, the white woolly sheep, is not the sheep of the ancient, of Middle East. The Middle Eastern sheep, like East Africa, has a kind of a brown, um, very uh, different looking sheep. Looks like my grand dog text a little bit, kind of a brownish color. And, and so th- it was a little bit difficult to distinguish between, um, between a goat and a sheep. But the shepherd knows, and the shepherd knew how to separate them. Sheep were of much more economic value. They were precious. They were cared for a little differently. Goats were a little more hardy, but goats were not as tolerant of the weather. And so the sheep and the goats, for, for good reason, had to be separated. I don't think this means that sheep are bad. I mean, excuse me, the goats are bad. It's not like, it's just Jesus is using something that would have made a lot of sense to the first century audience. And he's explained to them that, that at the final judgment, he who sits on the throne and judges will separate the goats and the sheep. Well, who are the goats? And who are the sheep? That's the question. Um, they're symbolic, Jesus goes on to explain. They're symbolic of those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. And it comes down to this, this caring for the least of these, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, my followers, or the least of these, these, these who are the least in the kingdom or least in creation. Those are the two ways that people variously translate this passage. Jesus gives six descriptions of them. They were hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, and in prison. And in both ways, in parallel, Jesus begins to describe how he, the Son of Man, the King, the Good Shepherd, will separate the sheep from the goats. And he goes on to say that it is, it is in how they responded to the hungry and the thirsty and the naked, and the stranger, and the sick, and the imprisoned. Well, I've already kind of, uh, you know, kind of given, you, given it away that this is, the, this is the challenge of this passage, just to try to figure out who exactly are the least of these. Some would say they are the poor. They're truly the poor of the world. And that when we care for the poor, whether they be naked or strangers or in prison or sick or whatever they are, that when we do that, we are doing that as unto Jesus. Because clearly Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So some think it's just simply the poor. Regardless if they're Christian, regardless if they're non-Christian, wherever they are in the world, the poor are in the mind of God in that moment. Others interpret this passage as poor Christians, those who suffer persecution, those who are um, down and out and marginalized in the world, the, the least brother, the, 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 the weakest, most unknown, sort of obscure disciple of Jesus, whoever that might be, that that is who Jesus is talking about, is the least of these. Still others take this passage and begin to say, well, no, it's, it's really about, Jesus is talking about, you know, back in chapter 10, he, he sent out the, the, the disciples, remember he sent them out two by two, and, and so he's talking about those who go as missionaries, those who go as emissaries, those who are proclaiming the gospel in some sort of a, a missionary ambassador kind of a role, and, and, and because it's a judgment of the nations, 
which would have been like the peoples of the world. There were no nation states at the time, but the people groups of the world, how they interact with these disciples, these missionaries, those who proclaim the gospel, how they respond to them will be how they're judged as people groups. So you can see the complexity of interpretations. I'm not going to leave you with the, with the quandary there, okay? I'm going to give you an answer. You may not like my answer, but I'm going to give you an answer in a second. The problem with the first idea that somehow it's just about the poor in general is that it seems almost like works righteousness, particularly if you've come out of sort of a reform tradition, right? Because it's this idea that's like theology doesn't matter. All that matters is that you love and care for the poor. And, you know, like sort of, sort of a social justice perspective. And I've, I've been around people who basically said, this is the will of God to go and be with poor people because poor people are by definition more righteous than us and, and Christ is with them and he's not with us and so we need to go be with them. So I've heard the extreme of that. I've also heard the extremes on the other side to, to say that, that this is... This is this is simply about how, we, how the followers of Christ are treated, how, how his disciples, as insignificant or unknown as they might be, how they're treated by the world. That's how Jesus will judge the world. And, and the problem with that is it's, it's very exclusive, isn't it? And it sort of seems to let us off the hook for caring for the poor and the marginalized, which seems to be a really important thing for Jesus, right? I mean, he talks about it an awful lot. It's right up there with money. And I think we know why, right? Money is the, the problem with oftentimes with our adult, idolatry of money is oftentimes the reason why we're unwilling to help those who are poor and marginalized. Well, what do we do? Well, before I give you the answer, let me just say a couple of things. First of all, notice that from both perspectives and sort of setting aside these different ways that you can take this parable or this vision Notice that though it's focused on the poor and, and those who are the most marginalized, the most vulnerable, notice that it all focuses on Christ. It's the fact that when you do it to that person, you've done it unto Christ. There is a, a reverence, a, a, an elevation of Christ. In other words, Christ is at the center. Christ is both the judge, the shepherd, but he's also one among us. He's the most vulnerable. He's the one who's come to be with us. And as we minister to people, it is Christ that we are, that we are ministering to. And when we reach, when we get to that judgment, it will be Christ who we face. And Christ will say, you, you, you did that for me because you did it for them. In other words, it's, it's right ordered. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love my neighbors, myself. Christ is the ultimate goal, even as we're ministering to those who are poor and marginalized. There's a great story. There was a, there was a saint by the name of Martin, Martin of Tours. Martin was a Roman soldier, but also a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And Martin is riding along, and he sees a man, or he's walking along. He sees a man, and the man is a poor beggar. And he says, please, give me something. Give me some, some money. And Martin doesn't have any money. He's probably a father of, you know, school-aged children who had taken all of his money for lunch. And, and, he, and he's like, I don't have any money. But he takes his, you know, the Roman soldiers, they had that cloak, right? And so he takes his cloak and he rips it in two. And he gives half of his cloak to the beggar. And he keeps the other half of his cloak. Martin then has a dream 
and he sees the Lord Jesus in eternity in heaven and Jesus is wearing a half cloak. And, and one of the angels says, Jesus, what, what's with the half cloak? And Jesus' response is, my friend Martin gave it to me. Now, that's apocryphal, right? It's not in scripture. But what a wonderful picture to see that, that Martin's love and his, his ministering, his, his servitude towards this poor, down beggar is all because of his devotion to Christ, who sees him as a friend and who proudly wears that half cloak in eternity. He's not too proud to wear a torn cloak. Ah, oh, I love it. Jesus is at the center. Secondly, notice that in all three cases, um, it's, it's all, of, and I kind of already said this a little bit, but it's all about our response to Jesus Christ. Don't miss that this is the very end of Jesus' teaching. Jesus has taught five different sections of teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. He's told all these parables, the last five exclusively focused on his judgment. And then he comes to the end, and this is the last teaching he teaches that Matthew records in his gospel before he goes into his passion. If you know anything about rabbi teachers, the last thing they say is the most important thing. Just like my friend Whitey Hogan, my, my preacher, you know, you always want to wait to the end of Whitey's sermon because at the end of Whitey's sermon, boy, he was going to hit you with something that you did not want to miss. I don't necessarily always do that, but, but that's the way a rabbi and that's the way Whitey preached. And let me tell you, this is important, but Christ, it's all about a response to Christ. Thirdly, remember that it is about a final judgment. If there's one thing that we, we struggle with in our, in our understanding of, of, of eschatology, then times, it's, it's how do we live into the kingdom now even though the kingdom is yet to come, the now and the not yet, the balancing of the two. And Jesus makes it clear that there will be a judgment. There will be an eternal kingdom for those who've responded rightly to Jesus. And there will be, unfortunately, an eternal damnation for those who reject him. Notice that the eternal fires are not for human beings. It was created for the devil and his angels. Christ would that none would perish, but all would find salvation. And yet out of a loving God, he must give us the free will to choose to reject him. As hard as that might seem, well, what's the solution? All the poor are just the poor Christians or just the poor missionaries. How are we to, to follow this out? What, what are we to do? How do we, how do we respond? Well, here's the, here's the solution. I'm going to give you the answer. Do it all. I mean, right? I mean, I, you know, as I kind of thought about this passage, I thought, Lord, I don't want to preach on this. This is such a hard. And then I thought, wait a minute. You command all of this. There's not a part of this that the Lord doesn't command. He commands us to care for the poor, the marginalized. He commands us to care for the stranger and, and, the, and the one in prison and those who are hungry and thirsty. But yet he also calls us to care for poor Christians in the world. To lift up our brothers and sisters who aren't privileged to live with the, the abundance that we have in this 
place of fruitfulness and abundance. And it may not be as abundant as we sometimes want it to be, but it's far more abundant than a lot of places in the world, let me tell you. And to lift up and pray for those who dare to leave the comfort of our culture and go to some remote, obscure place and share the gospel in a foreign land. Do it all. And then you're covered. You see, my contention is that oftentimes we would rather stay and fight about which is it and rather than simply get on with doing it all. It's all about Christ. It's about responding to him. There is a judgment. Let's do it. Let's get on. Can I say to you this morning, there, there are, we have ministries. This morning, we, we, we all, many of us packed Operation Christmas Child boxes to send this little box, box of love around the world. My kid this year got a special treat because Jody and Sam usually do the Christmas Child box and Jody's been super busy with work. So Father Alex prepared the box. It is much more heavy toy oriented than it is school supply and hygiene things. Because I remember what it was like to be a four to nine year old boy and you care very little about hygiene. You care a lot about cars and trucks and army men and, or, you know, little things to play with and stuff. So my books is just crammed full. And I'm also, I have an overly developed sense of spatial relationship. And so I'm able to get a lot of things in my box. I will do a tutorial for some of you that probably are maybe a little more challenged. Helps out when you go on vacation to pack your car too. We, the mask I was wearing, Family Promise, a local ministry in our city that takes homeless families in, gives them shelter. I don't think Lena would mind me saying, Lena Clordes and her boys are recipients of the ministry of Family Promise. St. Francis House, Gainesville Community Ministries, the food distributions out at the fairgrounds, on and on and on. House of Hope. Fred Cantrell, a member of our own parish, works week in and week out with former prisoners who've come out of jail, helping them adjust to life, giving them basic discipleship that they may reorient into the society. Dealing with the economically challenged children at Littlewood. Through, through means, all the means we have, pre-COVID of mentoring and tutoring and, 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 and during COVID with giving some financial funds and blessing the teachers and particularly ministering to those, those students who are most economically challenged. There are ways that we can serve the poor in our city and all around the world. Now, I'm sometimes criticized for doing too many things, for having, you know, Alex, if there's one criticism Usually they don't say it, but if there's one criticism, looking at Janice, my senior woman back there, it's that sometimes Alex is like, you, you've got like a shotgun effect. You want to do it all, and you need to focus more. You need to get, you know. But I look at the body of Christ, even in our church, 200, 225 people maybe. And I think, boy, if we all begin to really take seriously Jesus' work here, we're not doing enough. And we've got missionaries. The least of these, those, those who are going, how, how those are received, we can support missionaries in, in Kenya and in, in Asia who minister into places where you normally don't find Christians going. And, and through um, Chris Starr, we, we minister through the McHughes to, to missionaries who are literally all over the world. We get to pour into these. We, we're caring for the least of these Christians 
and we're caring for the least of these missionaries who are going to these places. But we're also caring for the least of these poor. IJM, International Justice Mission. Working in India with the gospel for Asia. Here's the problem, friends. Too many of us don't take seriously Jesus' last words before his passion. And I'm not trying to put you in a guilt trip. I'm just reminding you of the word of God. My job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I say to you, our Lord has given us this incredible vision to motivate us to remember those who are marginalized. I could go on and on. I mean, Christians in in our community, and again, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about social media. I'm not talking about all, you know, these national movements. I'm talking about Christians in our community, particularly minority congregations that are feeling not only pandemic struggles, but medical struggles, financial struggles, and social unrest struggles. These are the least of these, and we can minister to them. Wherever you land, Get engaged. Whatever suits your fancy, get engaged. Seek out the mission team if you want to serve the least of these poor in the world. Seek out the outreach team if you want to work with the poor among us. Seek me out if you just don't know what to do. And I'll give you something to do, I promise. There's plenty of work to do. Rather than saying we've done enough or we're doing too many things, I say, no, we need to mobilize more of us to be more involved, to do more, because that is exactly what Christ has called us to do. It's not as polished a sermon today, but I think you get my point, right? The one who will be our judge the one who is our good shepherd, the one who loves us and cares for us and will lead us into justice, the son of man who Matthew 26, 2 says, the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus Christ came that he might be oppressed like those who are oppressed, that he might be poor like those who are poor, that he might be enslaved to this earthly body the way we are enslaved, that he might suffer sickness on the cross for those who are sick. But he also came for the oppressors and for the rich and for the free, for the healthy. You see, we all need poor and rich, sick and healthy. We all need a place to lay our sin to lay our guilt, our anger, our failures. And so he came. The good shepherd, who Jesus says lays down his life for his sheep. Out of devotion to him, who is king of kings and lord of lords, let us rise up and serve. In Jesus' name, amen.